Not That German is a fun, insightful movie discussion podcast that may not be suitable for all listeners. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Meine Damen und Herren and everyone else, welcome to a Not That German, Not That Minisode with me, Al J. Nound. I need to start off with an apology. For last week's minisode, Das geht mir am Arsch vorbei, in the summary section I made a clickbaity joke about Adam maybe being a sleeper agent for the secret New Zealand moon colony. Afterwards, Adam called me and told me that wasn't funny. Now, that's normal. He calls me and tells me that after every episode. But this time I crossed a line in making jokey assumptions about his absence. Obviously, he's not a sleeper agent for the New Zealand moon colony. That was meant to be intentionally ridiculous. No, it turns out he's just a regular old secret agent for the secret Bolivian underwater military base somewhere in the Mediterranean. I apologized profusely, Adam accepted it, but gave me another German phrase to talk about today. He told me not to fuck it up. Well, joke's on him this time, because I do two things in life. Chew bubblegum and fuck it up. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Wait a second. I just found my last piece of bubblegum. <laughs> Never mind. Let's just get German, y'all. Jedem Tierchen sein Pläsierchen. I hope I'm saying that right, because I like the rhyme. But if it doesn't actually rhyme, then I sound like a real idiot. Jedem Tierchen sein Pläsierchen. It sounds like Conan O'Brien speaking fake German for a comedy bit. Oh my god, am I the next Conan O'Brien? Oh wow, I gotta call my agent. Oh wow, I gotta get an agent! Well, Adam's a secret agent, maybe he can hook me up. But I digress. Jedem Tierchen sein Pläsierchen. Or, in the common tongue, to every animal its own little pleasures. Or, in a way that makes sense in English, live and let live to each their own. I really like this one, hopefully for obvious reasons. I don't see why we need to bring animals into it, like that actually muddies the water a bit. Like how in Zootopia they wanted to comment on racial stereotypes, but they still designed certain characters as predatory animals that are designed to kill prey animals. Or, a little more awkwardly on the nose, how in Bright, the orc characters are obviously stand-ins for quote-unquote minorities, but it's weird because orcs are an entirely different race from humans, and race between humans is a bullshit made-up construct. Well-intentioned, perhaps, but poorly executed. 
Dogs lick their junk. Bears shit in the woods. Sharks cover their eyes before they go in for the kill. I know every animal has its own little pleasures, but who's the dog? Who's the bear? Where's the beef? It doesn't really work in German. But I don't care. You know why? Because live and let live. It's a phrase that works for people who know the language, and it's a phrase with a meaning that, if everyone believed it, would make the world a much better place. Why do I care what you do? I love musicals. If you love musicals, great, that's something in common. Maybe that'll start a conversation. If you don't, okay. I love pizza, because I'm a stock character from 90s animation. And if you don't, I might be surprised, but still. Okay. It has nothing to do with me. It has only to do with your interests, your tastes, your desires. What do I care what movies you like, or what cars you prefer, or what your opinion of the TV show Friends is? We're all different. We're allowed to be different. My tastes aren't better than your tastes. They're either similar, or they're not. I get really happy when I see a Trabant, because that was the first thing I learned about East Germany, and it just has a weird special place in my heart. No one else likes Trabants, understandably, but we're not going to fight over it, because what is there to fight over? We like what we like. We don't like what we don't like. Who gives a shit? And I don't mean that in a defense mechanism apathetic way. If you like pineapple on your pizza, I don't suddenly stop caring about your existence. I just don't let that difference in taste affect our relationship or our interactions. Of course, this does have real-world ramifications. If I'm friends with someone who happens to like pineapple on their pizza, I probably wouldn't split a pizza with them. For one, J-Noun doesn't share food, and two, if they want pineapple on their pizza and I don't, then they shouldn't have to compromise, and I shouldn't have to suffer. But I can still go to a pizzeria with them. I can enjoy my own pizza capricciosa while they enjoy whatever it is they like across from me. I don't have to like that pizza. I don't have to eat that pizza. But what kind of a person would I be if someone's mere existence, enjoying their life their way on the other side of the table, offended me? Someone's existence on the other side of the table offended me once. I was young. Ten, eleven, something like that. And I was invited out to a birthday dinner with my best friend. I don't know why it was just the two of us. Well, us and his mom. My guess is there was another bigger party, but my friend knew in that way kids understand that while he may like me as a friend, people wouldn't like me at a party so this was a way to celebrate without spoiling the mood. Which is understandable. Again, I was a shit when I was younger, I get it. But at this birthday dinner, we were at a Japanese teppanyaki restaurant, where different parties sit at the same large table and the food gets cooked in front of everyone. There was me, my friend, his mom, and opposite us were two rather butch women holding hands. It was a very G-rated PDA hand-holding, the mildest public display of affection. It wasn't a PDF, a public display of fuck. It was two people holding hands on the table as they waited for the show to start. 
And to say the three of us were uncomfortable is to severely understate the situation. Growing up in Florida, you learn what to do if you come across a potentially dangerous animal. That sometimes involved no sudden movements, don't look it in the eye, don't be aggressive, ignore it, and it probably, hopefully, won't hurt you. And the way my friend's mom spoke, slowly and softly, as if she didn't want us to scare a wild animal, but she still wanted us to avert our impressionable young eyes, lest we see the horrors that animal had wrought. She whispered, we can still have a fun night if we just ignore them over there. And that's stayed with me ever since. I'm not a lesbian. I've never had lesbian sex. But they weren't having sex in a restaurant. They were two people we assumed to be lesbians, holding hands in literally the least sexualized way possible. They weren't screaming or fucking or talking loudly on their Nokia bricks. Not a sponsor, this was just years before the iPhone or doing anything to interfere with the good night we were trying to have. And yet their existence bothered us. And yet their mere being there threatened to ruin this fun birthday dinner. We technically lived and let live, to each their own, every animal its own little pleasures. And to us, those two people holding hands in a teppanyaki restaurant were little more than animals. I do not say it with pride nor with shame, but simply a fact that I grew up in a solidly middle-class household. I wasn't spoiled rotten, and I remember my father yelling at my mother for the extravagant amounts of money she spent. But as far as I was aware, I never truly wanted for basic necessities or even the hierarchical next levels of education and entertainment. Plus, my dad liked to yell at people. And my mom did spend a lot of money. But I say I was middle class, because I understand that not every child goes to the dermatologist for cosmetic reasons. Around the same time as the teppanyaki trauma, my mom would take me to the skin doctor for removal of moles I didn't like. I didn't have a lot of moles, there weren't any health concerns, but I, or maybe just my mother, didn't like these moles and wanted them gone, so every once in a while we'd go to the dermatologist, I'd get a numbing agent near the mole, the doctor would do his thing. And yes, this happened to be a male doctor, this wasn't an all-in-the-family riddle, I wasn't using the presumptive he. But one time we had an appointment, and I went inside, and I waited in the room for the doctor to show up. And he did, followed by a woman I'd never seen before. She was another doctor, and she was, I think, following him? Shadowing him? There's some actual term, I forgot what it is. It's that thing where a doctor learns something by following another doctor around? I don't remember. I was told what that verb was, but I forgot it because I was too busy doing what my parents had instilled in me and being uncomfortable with her in the room. Not because she was a woman, not because she was black, although this may have been after my father said he never wants a black doctor because he doesn't know if that doctor earned his spot in medical school or just got it because of affirmative action. Yep, my father used the presumptive he and is also a racist piece of shit. 
but that wasn't why my mother and I were uncomfortable. We were uncomfortable because this doctor was wearing a headscarf. I don't know what kind it was, I don't want to mislabel it, but just like how it was assumed the two butch women in the teppanyaki restaurant were lesbians, it was understood that this doctor was Muslim. And I didn't get the mole removed that day. I didn't get cold feet. I didn't suddenly fear the needle or decide I'll keep this weird bump. I did it because I was worried she would take the mole off, that she would be in the room when the mole was taken off, and that scared me and disgusted me. Again, I was ten years old, a child, I literally only knew what my parents had taught me, and there was no reason to assume that, should she remove the mold, there would be any problem. Her hands weren't shaking, she didn't have a runny nose that she somehow didn't notice, she didn't say anything mean or confusing or problematic. I just didn't want Muslim hands touching me. I feared what would happen if she got too close to me. So I said I didn't want it, and we didn't do the procedure, and we left. We technically lived and let live, to each their own, every animal its own little pleasures. And to my mother and me, this trained professional medical doctor, by virtue of an article of clothing that may have intimated her religious background, was little more than an animal. I'm telling you these stories partly as an act of penance. I do need to confess these sins against humanity, get these horrors off my chest. These aren't who I am now, these are the thoughts of someone I despise, and not just because of the cringe factor of embarrassing stuff I did as a kid. These stories show an ingrained sense of hate, not explicitly violent, but clearly not based on the concept that these people different from me are still human beings. I was raised to be a hateful human being. Not a soldier who goes out and commits genocide, but someone who wouldn't immediately have a problem should someone else go out and do just that. I ask you, is that live and let live? I didn't say anything offensive to the couple in the teppanyaki restaurant, but their mere existence made me visibly uncomfortable, and I wouldn't have minded had someone said they weren't welcome there. I didn't use any slurs against the doctor, but her mere existence made me visibly uncomfortable, and I wouldn't have minded had someone said she wasn't welcome there. That is not live and let live. That is to each their own the way that a loaded gun with the safety on is non-threatening. So I say these stories as penance, because I am mortified at how I once thought, even though it wasn't my fault, even though it was just parroting the views of my parents. But I also say these stories as a warning, a caveat to consider in regard to jedem Tierchen sein Pläsierchen. I'm talking about the paradox of democracy. If you don't know this term, don't worry, I haven't suddenly become an incel authoritarian. I'm still a rabid fan of representation by existence, and not by virtue of one's wealth or genetic lottery. Hell, I'm the Moro Tyrone guy. You think I was sad when the Queen of England died? 
No. Fuck the monarchy. Down with the imperialists. Eat shit, House of Windsor. Oppressors do not weep for those they oppress, so why should the oppressed weep for the oppressors? But anyway, the paradox of democracy is this problem where, by providing free and open speech, a democracy invites its own destruction by those who use the tools of democracy against democracy itself. In other words, people can follow the rules in bad faith to undermine those very rules. It's the I'm not touching you game, where you can be annoyed by someone saying I'm not touching you without actually touching you. And then when you complain that your sibling is touching you, they can claim their innocence by stating that they were, in fact, not touching you. It is the ability to provoke and antagonize under legal protection. People can shout horrific, hateful rhetoric and still be completely within the boundaries of the law. In the U.S., to arrest someone for giving the Nazi salute or draping themselves in the flags of genocidal mass murderers is to go against those individuals' freedom of speech. To be part of a belief system, religious or civil, that considers some human beings to be subhuman, pests to be shot before they invade our neighborhoods, animals who don't deserve the same basic rights afforded to others on superficial or just gut-based grounds, is protected by law in the U.S. When these people make their voices heard, you see the paradox in action. You see how glorious ideas of free speech sprung forth from the cosmic truth that is liberty can sow the seeds of their own destruction and find the flaws in live and let live. A baker doesn't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding because of their religious beliefs? Okay, live and let live, just go to another bakery. But that belief doesn't end with the cake. Bigotry doesn't stop with business going elsewhere, because it's not about business. It's about not seeing people as people. It's saying a right guaranteed to everyone is not guaranteed to these people. And it's really only guaranteed to people of the same race. Interracial marriage was only guaranteed in the U.S. in 1967, two years before we went to the moon, and a bat mitzvah before the eradication of smallpox. If you know someone with that outlander devil's mark on their arm, there's a good chance they were born when marriage still had a big old race asterisk next to it, like Babe Ruth's home runs. Someone wants to shout, Jews will not replace us, in a tiki torch march intentionally reminiscent of some triumph of the will bullshit? Okay, live and let live, just don't sit next to those people at lunch. But it doesn't end with thoughts of a Jewish conspiracy. It doesn't end with fears of cultural Marxism. How do we know it doesn't end there? Because of the fucking Holocaust. You want to criminalize abortions in your state because of your religious belief that blah 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 misogyny? Okay, live and let live. Just go to another state to get an abortion. But that's impossible for many women, most of the time pragmatically and soon to be legally. Also, totally fucking unnecessary. Jesus Christ. 
But still, live and let live, it's their religious rights. No! Discussion and disagreement and different tastes come part and parcel with the human experience. I don't like horror movies, and you don't like pesto sauce, and he doesn't understand physics, and she thinks monogamy is bullshit. Fine. Live and let live when no one gets hurt. No one gets hurt if I watch a Tanz der Vampire bootleg on Halloween. No one gets hurt if you prefer tomatoes to basil. No one gets hurt if he decides to become an artist instead of a pilot, because what the fuck is a parabola? No one gets hurt if she doesn't want a single partner and communicates that effectively when looking for like-minded individuals. We can disagree on pineapple on pizza because it's a fruit on a food. But we can't disagree on LGBTQ rights because to disagree is to refuse to acknowledge their humanity. We can disagree on whether or not we should eat a kind of animal, but we can't disagree on whether or not any group of people is at the same subhuman level as that animal. We should foster debate and free speech, but open-mindedness only goes so far. You can't be open-minded to close-mindedness. You can't debate beliefs when one belief requires the subjugation of other human beings. You can't say to each their own when their own is killing everyone but their own. You can't say live and let live to people who say live and let die. Open-mindedness works only if we are close-minded to the close-minded. Provide the tools for peace. Provide the tools for liberty. Provide the tools to enjoy a birthday dinner at a teppanyaki restaurant. But do not provide the tools whereby a person is deemed less than a person by their mere existence. Jedem Tierchen sein Pläsierchen. Unless only some of us are animals. And that's about it, I guess. Special thanks to PoFan for helping us compose our theme music. We'll get back to our regular episodes soon. In the meantime, thanks for being German with me. Check us out on Twitter at NotThatGerman or our NotThatGerman NotThatFanClub Facebook page for updates to try and answer our hints, or maybe just to see cool stuff. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and spread the word, and we'll see you next time. Tschüss! Schumann, Schumann, know that they're all only human. It's not that German, not that German. Films for folks, fans, films for folk lands. It's not that German, not that German. Das passt.